So do you all know what, you can be seated by the way, so do you all know what amen means, amen? Amen literally means so be it. Let it be true. So when we say amen, it's not just a filler at the end of a prayer. It is, we're saying, God, let it be so. Let it be so in my life. So I want to start with a question here today. Uh, in that song, we ta- it sings about that God is for you. Do you believe that, that God is for you and not against you? Do you believe that with all your heart? So here's the thing. I want you to remember that as I teach what I'm going to teach today. Because it may not feel that way when I talk about a controversial subject. So I want you to just remember that God is for you. So let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. And I pray, God, that your spirit will just take my words and expand us, challenge us, God. I pray that you would stretch us, uh, Lord, to be more than we are today. Thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity that we have today, Lord, to be stretched by you. And I pray, God, that, that in every way that we will listen with our hearts what you would have for us today, that we would obey, that we'd have a spirit that says, Lord, whatever you show me to do, because I know you're for me, I'll just do it, God, because I trust you. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. So we're right in the middle of a series called Stretch, and Stretch is about increasing our capacity to experience God. Now, who doesn't want that, right? You want to have a greater capacity to really experience the presence and the power and just God himself. You want to be in relationship with him, and oftentimes we're the ones that limit what God can do in our life because of our unbelief, because of our walls, because of lots of things in our life. And so what we want to do is we want to tear those walls down, and what we want to literally do is we want to increase our capacity for really experiencing God. So when I think of people I know uh, in terms of stretching, there's one man that comes to my mind. His name is Jim, and I've known him for over 20 years, and uh, no one ever questions his character. No one ever thinks, I wonder, I wonder if there's something wrong in his life. Uh, everyone, he's probably one of the most well-loved, well-loved men that I know. People just love him, and when I think about why, one thing comes to my mind, he is one of the most generous men that I know. Because generosity is a character that affects every other part of our lives. And so today what we're going to talk about is a subject matter that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but it shouldn't, because really what we're talking about is the character of generosity, what that looks like in our life, how do I expand it, how do I grow in generosity, how do I let it reflect who God is in my life, how do I let others see my generosity without boasting, That's, those are all good, all good issues. And so today we come to this essential discipline of generosity. And I hope that what you'll do today is not say, oh yeah, 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 I've heard that all before, and I'm gonna tell you right up front, you don't know everything there is to know about generosity. I don't care who you are, I don't know everything there is to know about generosity, because if that were true, then my generosity would reflect the kind of generosity that God has, and it doesn't yet, and neither does yours probably. Is that, is that fair to say? Smile at me through your mask, smile at me. All right, so let me start with the definition of generosity. Generosity is giving to God and to others as a result of a transformed heart. It starts with a transformed heart, and out of this transformed heart, 
really comes the flow of God's presence and his power and his resources out of my life. The reason that God gives me the things that he gives me is so that I might use them for his glory and his honor and to bless others and to bless him. It is the normal response of the grace of God. Generosity, the more I understand the grace of God, the more, the more generous I become inside of my life. It is the natural flow of a life that understands the grace and mercies of God in my own life. It is an issue of character. Not, it's not an activity. It's not something I do, although I do it. It really more is described as a character trait inside of our lives. People should look at us and say, ah, oh, there is a person of generosity. Not because you gave them anything, but because that's, that's the essence that you have. There are two major instructions regarding generosity in the New Testament. One is that generosity is to be practiced cheerfully, not grudgingly. So when I'm going to be generous, it can't be, you know, I know I have to do this. I know I should, so I'm going to do it. That's not, that really doesn't merit anything with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is literally a word in the Greek that literally, literally translated would mean hilarious. Someone where it just tickles you pink to give. When you have a need, you see a need and you give to it, it just produces joy in your life unspeakable. And that really is so crucial. There is a preacher trying to get his people to be more enthusiastic about the church. And so the preacher said to his church, uh, if this church is ever going to go anywhere, it's first of all, it first has to learn how to crawl. And so the church responded, say, it said, let it crawl, pastor, let it crawl. And uh, the pastor said, then after it learns how to crawl, it needs to learn how to walk. And the people responded and said, pastor, let it walk, let it walk. And then once the pastor said, once it learns to walk, it needs to learn how to run. And the people shouted back, let it run, pastor, let it run. And then he said, once it's running, if the church is going to run anywhere, it's going to take money. And the people said, let it crawl, pastor, let it crawl. And uh, so often, we, that reflects sometimes our, our view towards money, and we're going to talk about that up close and personal. Uh, we can learn to be cheerful, cheerful givers by studying the greatest giver in this world who is Jesus, who left the riches and glories of heaven left all of that and he emptied himself of the right to be regarded as God and came and lived in absolute poverty in this life not knowing necessarily where he was going to get his next meal so the second major instruction that we're given is that we are to excel at generosity in other words you're supposed to be getting better and better and better and you never you never hit a plateau where you say okay I've arrived when it comes to generosity I'm just telling you listen to me carefully I don't care who you are I don't care how much you give or how much money you have or how much you think you give the reality is is that I'm supposed to be stretching myself all the time growing in it exceeding what I did before because it is so important in developing this character inside of my life. So Paul tells us that we are to excel in this generosity. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 8, verse 7. For those of you that want, wonder whether I just made that up or not, Paul said, see that you excel in this act of grace also, speaking of generosity. So we have one major obstacle to overcome. So look me in the eyes for just a second. If you're on camera, you're looking at watching me at home, look me in the eyes. This one's my better one. Look me in that eye, and let me just ask you this question. Do you consider yourself a generous person? Do you consider yourself a generous person? That is a per pretty important question to ask yourself. And I'm going to tell you there's a one major obstacle that you have to overcome. The major obstacle that has to be overcome is deciding who really is in control of your life. Now that sounds easy sitting here in church, right? But when push comes to shove, you and I have to decide that question. There are two thoughts here. First of all, we have to learn. It's a learned phenomenon. We have to learn to trust God and not money. In our culture, the God that we worship is money. In America, we worship money. We build our happiness around it. We build our futures around it. And I'm telling you, it's an obstacle when that is the case. It's an obstacle to really trusting God. So let's just explore that a little bit, learning how to trust God and not money. So suppose that you go to the doctor. And the doctor says, hey, lay down on this table. And the doctor starts pushing on your abdomen. And, you know, it hurts. You go, ow. You know, don't do that anymore. That hurts. Ever happened to you? They've pushed and there's pain. So the question then is, is the pain the problem or is the pain a symptom of the problem? And the answer is the pain's not the problem. The pain is God's mechanism to tell you there's something wrong. There's something deep inside your gut that's wrong, and so you've got to do more tests. You've got to figure out what that is. The pain is just a mechanism to help you understand that there is a problem in your life. So let me just stop for just a minute and talk a little bit about how that relates to money. Oftentimes, when I speak on generosity here at Grace over the years, I try to speak on it once a year. And the reason I do is because it's such an important thing to God. Your generosity is. Your generosity is really important to God. And you excelling in generosity is really important to Him. So I don't get, I don't get more emails than any other subject than this one. I get tons of emails saying, all you want is money and da-da-da-da-da. You know, and, you know, and I'm going, you know, uh, if you write me one of those emails, I'll read it. I will. And then I'll push the delete button. Oops, I'm sorry. I deleted your email because there's something you don't understand if you think all I want is your money. I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to give your heart to Jesus. That's what I really want. And when I push and it hurts, when I push on it and it hurts, I'm telling you, it's because there's something wrong in your soul. When you respond in pain, when I push on generosity, and you then start blaming the messenger, instead of saying, why is this hurting? Maybe I should figure out some deeper tests to figure out what's going on in my life. If, if that's where you are, my, you're missing the whole point. The whole point is when I push or the Spirit is pushing, the Spirit is pushing to show you that there is a spiritual problem. And I'm going to suggest to you what that problem is. In our culture, maybe this isn't your problem, but I'm, I, would, I would guess I'm almost right on this, probably almost 100%. If it, when I push on giving 
and you push back and you say don't do that it's because you're gaining your security around the things that you possess and that's why it hurts so much because I'm now dealing, I'm, I'm not preaching anymore. I'm just meddling with psychological issues. I'm dealing with your security and what you, where you get it and how you sustain it. Because anything that we do that puts God in a less than position, the Bible calls idolatry. And we don't intend to, we don't mean to. It's how we were raised. We were taught, you know, to take care of number one. We were taught to be greedy. Everything around us suggests that we, you know, we have to impress others because that's a security issue as well. And to do that, we need money or to really to have my future. And so the question is, is that, is your future dependent upon your 401k or is your future dependent upon God himself? You've got to answer that. Can God provide everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness? Can he provide everything that you need? And I, I conclude that he can. So money is the, is the primary place where we get our security from. Or maybe it shouldn't be, right? Maybe there's some work to do inside of my soul that suggests that I've got to get my security other places. Here's a second thought. We are managers and not owners. We're managers and not owners. You don't own anything. God has, put it, God has given you some resources to take care of while you're on the planet, while you're in your earth suit. But you are just a manager. You are not an owner. I remember when my kids were growing up and uh, one of their favorite uh, restaurants, to my chagrin, was the Golden Arches. And so we would have to go to the Golden Arches once a week or twice a month or whenever we drove by it, they wanted to go. And, and uh, so when we would go into the Golden Arches, you know, I didn't really want to eat there because it's not my favorite delicatessen. And uh, so we would order the food, and, and, uh, but the one thing that I do like at McDonald's is their fries. Okay, that's the one thing, you know, they, you know, when they're hot, they're really good. And so I do what every good dad does, every good grandpa does, is that I just steal fries. So, you know, I, you know, I just reach into your, your, you know, little container and I'll take out a couple, you know, a couple fries for mine. I call it tithing. <laughs> and, uh, and my kids would inevitably get angry at me, you know. They would go, Dad, that's, those are mine. And I'm thinking, listen, you don't understand. Dad gives, Dad can take away, blessed be the name of Dad. <laughs> I mean, you don't understand the source, right? You don't understand that I could buy you, I could buy you a basket full of French fries. I could buy you 10. I, could, I, I, I would go all out. I could buy you 20 baskets of French fries. I had that kind of capacity in those days. You know, I could have. Or I could have just said, we're never going to McDonald's again. So you just don't know who you're dealing with, do you? That's what I wanted to say to my kids, but I never said that to them. And if any of them are listening, I'm saying it to you now. Just right now, I'm just saying to you right now, here's the deal, here's the deal. When it comes to resources in our life, how dare us, how dare us question the giver of good things? How dare us say, this is mine, you can't take a fry? I mean, doesn't that sound ridiculous to you? when you're thinking about your kids' fries. How many dads have ever done that, by the way? Raise your hand. Stolen fries from their kids. All right, okay, I'm just checking. I'm not the only dysfunctional dad in the room. Okay, so 
Now let's bring it back to God. When, we, when you and I don't understand that God could give us baskets full, he could provide more than we could ever imagine, or he could take it away. Either way, he's the one that's in control. So I have to learn to trust him and learn that I am not an owner, I am just a manager, so I shouldn't be deciding what kind of generosity that I would have. I should be asking my father, what do you want me to do with the fries that you've given me? Am I supposed to consume them? Am I supposed to give them away? I should be asking God, not telling God what I'm going to do or not do. There are three types of givers. There's what I call the flint giver. You know what a flint is? For those of you that camp, you probably know what a flint is. It's this, this, you know, this block that you have to strike, and it produces a spark, and the spark produces a fire. So there's some people that have to be, have, you have to strike. You have to strike, and when you strike them, they go in reluctance. They, okay, all right, I'll give. That's the flint type of giver. Then there's the person who is the sponge, and what you have to do with the sponge is you have to squeeze it a little bit. You know, it fills up, and you squeeze it, and it empties out. And not, neither one of those kind of givers is really the kind of giver that God wants. Then there's what I call the honeycomb. It naturally overflows with sweetness. That's the kind of giving that we should have, and we should excel at it, according to what Scripture says. So how do I learn to be generous? So before I talk about some basic principles of learning gen generosity in my life, I just want to say, I want to remind you that the motive is to expand my capacity for God. I do this because I'm learning to change my character. And to change my character, there has to be some disciplines in my life that cause, cause me to expand and grow in this process. So here's the first principle, is that you have to learn to be generous or give off the top, not off the bottom. Oftentimes, I know that many of you are, are you know, gracious and, you know, you, you know, whenever an offering pale is passed, you put something in it. But the question that I would ask you is that are you giving off the top or are you getting, giving off the bottom? Are you paying all your bills, taking care of all your entertainment, and figuring out what's left to give to God? That's not generosity. God bless you, but that's not generosity. Generosity is learned when I learn to trust God. And I learn to trust God when I give off the top of my income, not over the bottom. In other words, you never give God your leftovers. As you go to the Old Testament, God would never accept a blemished animal in one of the sacrifices. It had to be the best. You took your prized bull. You took your prized animal. That's the sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God in the Old Covenant. Now we fast forward into the New Covenant, and this is what we realize. We realize that whatever sacrifices I make for God has to be the best that I have. I don't give God my garage sale money. You know what I mean by that? I give God off the top. I sacrifice off the top, meaning that I might give something up so that I can be generous if I'm giving off the top. You with me so far? All right, good. You're doing pretty good so far. Proverbs 3, 9, you, nobody's thrown anything at me so far. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. The best part 
of everything you produce. So my best belong to God first. That's the first principle. So if you're not doing that, I would suggest starting somewhere, giving God off of the top, and just watch what God does. Because these are principles that God says, test me in. Give off the top. Second principle is give God selflessly. Now, what do I mean by that? Don't expect anything in return either from somebody else or from God. Don't give because, and I know TV television evangelists, you television evangelists say, you know, if you just give $100 right now, you're going to get 200 back in the mail. I'm telling you, you may not. Chances are you're not going to. Chances are God might test you to see whether your giving is pure and your generosity has a pure nature to it. So when you give, you give selflessly. You give expecting, whether you're giving to your friend who may need help with his rent, or you're giving to God, whatever it is, you always give with the idea that I'm not expecting anything back in return. You with me on that? We're going to come back to that in a minute. Third principle is make giving, and this is the hardest principle for me to learn. I'm working on this right now. Give as the priority of your life. In other words, make it what's, what drives you. If I'm going to be generous, I need to make giving the thing that drives me. Not my vacations, not my new car, not my new house, not anything. What should drive me? Those are all byproducts of a life well-lived and hard work. But if I'm going to develop generosity inside of my life, I have to learn this concept of making it the priority. It makes, in other words, I'm so glad that I have a job this week because what, gives me the, what this job gives me is the opportunity to bless others and to bless God. So I give with the idea that it is a priority, that giving is more important than my house payment, that giving is more important than my car payment. And that's where it's hard to, you know, giving is more important than my retirement. That is so hard to learn. And I'm telling you, I'm learning it. I haven't mastered this part of it. I think I do for a while, for, you know, three or four days, and then I go back to an old system. You know, thinking about, okay, you know, how much money do I have in my retirement account? You know, and I'm going, who cares? God's in control of that, right? We forget who is in control. You with me so far? Say, ouch, it's gonna, you know, this is hard. Let's admit it. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then, and then the fourth principle is, I've got I've to learn, this is what Jesus said to me, I've got to see life through the lens of eternity. I've got to see life through the, through the lens of eternity. The glasses that I'm looking at life through have to be the lens of eternity. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is Jesus. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You cannot serve both God and money. Got to make a choice. So a command, Jesus is commanding us, don't store for yourselves treasures on this earth. 
Store for yourselves treasures in the life to come. So what he's really saying is, is that I need to learn to look through the lens of eternity. Every decision that I make in life needs to be looked through the eyes of eternity. Whether it's forgiveness, or giving, generosity, or whether it is any discipline in the Christian life, you look at it through the eyes of how God sees it and what effect it has on eternity. Now lastly, I want to talk to you about this promise paradox. Here's the promise, but this promise is also a paradox. So it says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Paul said that. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So this is a promise. But this promise is a paradox. It is. Because I just taught you that I am supposed to give not caring about what I get back. Right? Didn't I just say that? Were you paying attention when I said that? I'm supposed to give not caring what I get back. And yet there's this promise of what do I do with that? I just realized it's true. That if I sow sparingly, I'm going to reap sparingly. I don't give so that I can get more. I give because God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And he has my back 24-7. So there's a story, and with this story, I'm going to finish my time. There's a story of a man who had a horrible dream. He said, I dreamed that God took my giving and multiplied it by 10, and this became my weekly income. Now think about that. Let's personalize that. God comes to you, and he takes your weekly giving, and he multiplies it by 10, and that's your weekly income. Now, for some, and this particular man that had the dream said, you know, I lost my cell phone, I lost my car, I couldn't make my house payment because I only had an income of $10 a week. One times 10 is 10, he's giving a dollar a week. So if you were to take your income and multiply, multiply it by 10, multiply it by 10, what would your weekly income be? That's interesting to think about, isn't it? I don't know if you understand what I just did, but I just took the concept of really the principle of taking off the top 10% and giving it to God's kingdom. And so it's a great principle to live by. I practiced it for a number of years. And uh, I pray and trust that you will learn generosity. This is what I know to be true about generosity. According to Jesus, where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. My generosity is a measure of where my heart is. And we say it here at Grace almost every week. Generosity changes hearts. It changes your capacity to experience God. The larger your heart becomes, the greater capacity you have to receive and understand and appropriate and experience God. And when you harden your heart, you limit your ability to experience God. My prayer for you is that you will allow generosity to become a character trait in your life. Not what you do, it's who you are. I'm generous. That's my being. That's who I am. 
That should be our goal. And I know that when that happens, when that happens, great things come. We've designed one last experience for you. And so we want you to fully participate in this last experience.